Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. So today I, I wanted to talk about where I came from, how I got into aviation, what started it all for me, and, and the journey that I made to get to where I am today flying jets. So everyone has a story to begin with, you know, how they caught that aviation bug, as we say. And I, I don't think mine was quite as defined as others. It was more kind of this gradual realization that, oh, I want to be a pilot. I think things for me started uh, at, at a very young age when I developed a, a really big interest in all things aeronautical, specifically having anything to do with NASA or, or rockets and, and, you know, learning about how we explored the moon and, and how the space station works. And I just, I, I found a fascination for that at a, at a very young age. In terms of, of more aviation side of things, my parents had moved to Washington State. Uh, my, my mother had gotten a job. Uh, and this was a couple years before I was born. And so then I was born. And in terms of visiting family, the whole family was in the Northeast. So that meant every summer or, or winter vacations, we'd be flying back east to go visit family. So that meant from a very young age, I was flying on airliners. In fact, I think they took me on my first flight when I was four months old. So as just a little baby, I was, you know, shown the world of aviation, at least on a, on a commercial airliner uh, scale, so to speak. And it, it's interesting. My, my parents have told me stories of, of some of these flights when I was young. I don't even remember this, but there'd be some pretty severe turbulence. And my both my parents were quite a bit nervous. Uh, my mother would be white-knuckled, you know, grabbing the armrests. And then there was just me kind of jumping up and down, you know, enjoying it as if it was some kind of amusement park ride or something. And so it was, it was pretty clear from an early age that I definitely had an interest in aviation. It just hadn't really struck me yet. And like I said, I, I from that young age, I, I had developed an interest in, in many things aeronautical. I, I was fascinated with NASA. And, and I think probably early on, like eight or nine years old, I, I had this idea that I wanted to become an astronaut. And I, I kind of carried that through the grade school, into middle school, into high school. And then I came to realize, okay, as, as you start to think about your life and what you want to do, I understood that, okay, if, if I wanted to become an astronaut, that meant getting most likely some sort of engineering degree, which is very hard. Uh, it's, it's not easy to do. There are some engineers in my family, and, and I know they did it. Uh, and I think I just came to the realization that maybe this just wasn't quite for me. Um, now, that, that whole realization came, I want to say, sophomore year of high school. And the whole thought of becoming a pilot started to form around then because I, I developed an interest in remote, uh, an RC, remote-controlled airplanes. And I think it was, yeah, ninth and 10th grade. And that interest was, was helped by the fact that my brother was into quadcopters and, and RC planes too. And he, uh, I remember he visited one year, uh, and, and th this was after we had, we had moved back to the East Coast. Uh, he was still living on the West Coast. He had visited, he brought his flying wing and showed me, and I was mesmerized by it. So I, I definitely developed an interest because of those remote control planes. And I think, yeah, well, I want to say it was around 10th grade into 11th grade. I started getting some kits and building them myself. 
And then as I moved into my senior year of high school, uh, I had a senior project. All of us in the class had a senior project, and it, it varied from you know, music, singing, to art, uh, building a boat, building a bicycle. I mean, all kinds of different projects. And I decided I wanted to continue this passion for remote-controlled aircraft and eh, not so much design, but at least uh, model after a bunch of kits and, and build them and then and then fly them for fun. So that was my whole project. And that really jump-started my interest in aviation and, and kind of led me to how I got to where I am today and that I, I made the realization that, oh, I could become a pilot. I could get paid to fly. I mean, that, that is the coolest thing ever. It, it never really struck me earlier. I had this idea that, oh, I wanted to go in a rocket ship and go to the moon or something. But then I realized how, you know, how slim those chances are of making it all that way. Not, not to say that, you know, I, I should tell anyone to give up on their hopes and dreams, but it just, it wasn't quite aligning with what I was thinking of at the time. And so I think around junior year of high school, I, I started initially looking, uh, just doing a couple internet searches of, of, you know, flight schools and how to get started, how to get going uh, to become a pilot. And it, at this point, I had no idea what exactly I wanted to do. Uh, it was it was just a matter of getting some feelers out. And so when I input some searches, an ad came up for Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And I was like, whoa, an aeronautical university, that, that's got a cool ring to it. So I clicked on it, checked it out. Uh, and I thought, hey, th this is kind of a cool idea. Uh, I'd never been to Florida before, and I could go down there and go to school, and, and you can get a bachelor's degree and do that all in tandem with, with your flight training, and then uh, you go off and do whatever after that. So my interest peaked uh, in this university down there in Florida, and it turns out that in my town where I grew up in, in Massachusetts, there was a, a guy I used to work for uh, that did these tag sales, and uh, so every year I would help him with, with these tag sales. His oldest son actually went to Embry-Riddle and did the Naval ROTC program there, and is to this day, I believe, still flying helicopters in the U.S. Navy. And so when I had heard about that, um, we made sure to, to schedule a meeting, and I, I met with this guy's son, and, and we chatted for a while, and he, he told me everything about the whole experience down there, and I was, I was immediately hooked. Uh, I, I, it, it was one of these things where it just, it, it just sounded too perfect, too good to be true almost, where it was like, yep, I think this is for me. And he, in fact, told me that he he went to Embry-Riddle without even having visited the university. Most people will visit a college or university before they go and attend. Um, I did want to go visit, so I think um, towards the end of junior year, I did go down and, and actually visit. But he had told me he just straight up moved in, showed up, and, and that was that. But I, I did decide to go check it out, took a tour of the place, and because of what he had told me, and some of my interests from years past of, of an interest in being in the military, I actually signed up for the Navy ROTC program, just like he did. And so when it came time to go to school in the fall of 2016, uh, I went down and uh, brought my car with me, moved in, and uh, it was about a week early because all the, all the students who were in the Naval ROTC program would have to show up a week early to get started. And so showed up, I think I had, my mom had, had come down with me. She helped me move into the dorm. And then I think I had 
I don't know if I had one day or if it was the next day. I don't know. I, I just remember it being all a blur. It was very quick. But essentially, uh, I was all moved in, all scored away. And then uh, the next morning, I was supposed to have like a 4 a.m. physical training test uh, over on the ROTC side of campus. And so I said my goodbyes to my mother the night before, uh, and she went on her way. And then I woke up early. It was like 3.30 or 4 a.m. that I woke up and went over to the ROTC building and right away just got a bit of a taste, a, a bit of a taste of, of just kind of like you see in those videos of, of boot camp, uh, the initial start of boot camp in the military where you got people screaming at you to, to do all these things. And they're really simple instructions, but it's amazing how easy it is to mess something up that's so simple given the stress that you're under. Uh, and so we got all organized. We got into our PT gear, I think, and, and then we headed out to the track and we did the, the PT test, the physical training test. And I think it it involved sit-ups, push-ups, and a mile and a half run. So I think that the bare minimum was in two minutes you had to do 45 push-ups or something like that and at least 50 sit-ups. I seem to remember I did... I barely beat the minimum push-ups. So like I said, I think it was 45 required. I think I did 51. So I just passed that threshold. Uh, for sit-ups, like I said, I think you needed to do 50 and I got to 80, I believe. And then the mile and a half run, which is six laps around a, a standard 400 meter track, uh, was I think the maximum you could do was 13 minutes, 13 and a half minutes. And I think I did it in... 10 or 11 or something. So I, I had some wiggle room. Uh, and I do remember actually lapping a couple kids on that, that, uh, particular test, the lap, uh, or the, uh, the running phase. So it, it just, it was nice to know that, okay, I definitely wasn't the fastest runner, but I certainly wasn't the slowest runner. I was someone somewhere in the middle of the pack. And I remember there was, gosh, there was a good 80 of us there probably, I want to say. Uh, and Maybe, maybe not quite, but I want to say almost half washed out that first morning because of that physical training test. And and there were some people there who did not look like they were in good shape, uh, at least the kind of shape that you needed to be in to pass that physical training test. And I'll admit I wasn't in my peak shape at all. It had been, you know, the whole summer, uh, it had been quite a few months since that spring season of Ultimate Frisbee for senior year. Uh, so I was, I was definitely a little out of shape myself, but I was still able to, to pull it off. Uh, but anyway, it was, it was very overwhelming to do that test. And then I think we were done by 6 a.m. It was barely light out yet. And then just so many more things happened where we had, you know, these small breaks and then you'd go back to your dorm, but then you'd go back to another classroom session or something. And all this was going on. It was getting very overwhelming. And I'd realized I hadn't even picked my classes out. I didn't, hadn't even made my my class schedules yet for my very first semester. So uh, I guess somewhere along the lines when I when I first enrolled, I'd, I'd missed some steps of the whole class registration process. And uh, so that, that was an oops kind of thing for me. And it was just getting all really overwhelming. So by the third day, actually, I decided to what's called the DOR, drop on request. Uh, it was just, it was too much for me. I hadn't really figured out what I was doing yet, what I was really getting myself involved with. Um, and so I decided, I just decided to drop the, the midshipman who was kind of in charge of our, of our squadron. Uh, he, he pulled me aside. He said, Hey man, I, I, this is very overwhelming. Are you sure you want to do this? 
you sure you want to drop? And I, I told him, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit much. I need to figure things out. Um, he was, he was a really awesome guy. Uh, I think he's, he's in the Marines today and he's, uh, just a really well-rounded individual and he was really rooting for me. He really wanted me to succeed. But uh, I remember, uh, one of the things he told me, uh, he said, Hey man, that's fine. We'll process the paperwork. It's all good. Just, just know that, you know, you do you and, and we're going to support you whatever way you need. And, uh, I wish you the best. And so it was, even though it was kind of a, an emotional experience for me having to drop this because I had this idea that I wanted to become a naval aviator and all of a sudden within three days I was dropping it. Um, <laughs> and so it was, it was just a little bit of an, an emotional roller coaster for me, honestly. Uh, and, and I was a little homesick, you know, here I was 1200 miles away from home uh, this was all new to me, and so it was just a little tough navigating those waters. But as soon as that paperwork was processed, I dropped. I was, you know, I, I wasn't obligated to anything anymore. I was able to go to the the first year student program, and and they helped me out get all my classes scheduled, and and then I went on my way. I made sure to get all my, like I said, my classes scheduled, my my flight training lined up, and uh, things went pretty well. Uh, for the rest of the college program, that, that first semester, I, I had to actually withdraw from one of my math classes because it was, first of all, it was an 8 a.m. class, so that was terrible. And second of all, this professor, I just did not see eye to eye with him. I would try to go to office hours to better understand some of the assignments, and this professor was just not helpful at all. Uh, and so I'd, I'd passed the, the point at which, you know, you either stick out the class and fail or you you take a W, withdraw on your transcript. And I, I decided, you know what, at this point with the tests that I've taken so far, there's no room. Like it, it, I might be able to pull a D out, but it just, it was not looking good for my grades. So I decided to withdraw, uh, took the class with a different professor the next semester and got an A in that class. So, you know, a lot of people might say it's, it's not the professor, it's you. Or, you know, you just got to stick with it. Well, I'd like to argue with that. You know, I think uh, even if you don't see eye to eye with a professor, you can try your best to try and figure it out, uh, go to tutoring or whatever. But in this situation, it just it wasn't it for me. Uh, so that next semester, I took it with a phenomenal professor. Uh, and, and like I said, I got an A in that. So it, it just goes to show that sometimes you need a little a quick reset. And that was the only class I ever had to withdraw in my entire four year experience. And so at least, uh, at least I had that going for me. Um, but the, the rest of the college program, it was, it was really unique. I mean, like I said, I, that, uh, the Navy ROTC thing started a week before classes started. Uh, and then, and then classes started at the end of August. And then within a week, they had me paired up with a flight instructor and I started my flight training uh, again in tandem with, with, um, with all my classes. So I think I was, uh, I had later that semester, I had, I had dropped the, the math class, like I said, but, uh, during that initial time, I think I was taking five classes and flight training three days a week uh, in addition to that. So it was a lot. I mean, the, the whole college program in conjunction with your flight training, it's a lot going on. And it does not leave you much time to really do much outside, you know, in terms of extracurricular activities. Uh, but I knew I needed something. And so I remember well, the first few weeks of classes, there was an activities fair that would showcase all of the student-run clubs on campus. And I had loved playing baseball in high school, but 
our uh, the, the Ember Riddle team was a I think it was Division Two, and so it was one of these things where it was going to be way too competitive for what I wanted and needed for college and that kind of situation even if I was able to walk on the team I'd probably be on the bench the whole time uh, and it just I don't think that would have been very good for me so I, I had played a lot of ultimate frisbee in high school actually starting from fifth grade all the way through the grade schools and into high school and so lo and behold there was a, an ultimate frisbee club the the dirty birds <laughs> was their name and so I, I checked them out at the activities fair and then I think that night they had the first practice and the rest is history. I have a great group of friends with uh, from from this ultimate frisbee team uh, that I stay in touch with to this day. And so that that was really a, a great additional thing that I had. Um, you know, in, in addition to to all the classes, the the stress of classes and flight training, it, it's a lot. You need some kind of uh, way to to vent out <laughs> any of your stress and and just go run around in a field and, and throw some frisbees around. So. Uh, I will say that for anyone who goes to college, you know, find find a hobby, find something, a group of people to hang out with, in addition to just your your dorm your dorm room. I mean, I, I was lucky to have a really good roommate my first year. Uh, I moved off campus the second year, but uh, it, those kind of clubs are are really what the college experience is really all about. Uh, and and you know, today's day and age, you don't have to go to college to become an airline pilot or any kind of pilot for that matter. Uh, those requirements of degrees are becoming less and less of, an, of a requirement. Um, I don't even know if there's any that any companies that still require a college degree uh, now with all the pilot shortages going on. Uh, but but the the college experience it's it's really unique, uh, and I I'm really grateful that I was able to do it. And so fast forward a little bit. Uh, again, I I was going to do the Navy ROTC thing, and then I ended up dropping that. So the whole idea of becoming a military pilot. Uh, kind of went on the back burner, and it, I think it might have been my freshman or, or sophomore year, I remember uh, JetBlue had come and given a presentation, uh, just talking about careers as a pilot for JetBlue, and I was pretty intrigued by it, so I, I had a little while there where I was thinking, okay, maybe I could become an airline pilot, um, and then, I don't know what shifted, I did a little more research, and as time went by, then I wanted to become a cargo pilot. I thought, hey, you know, I think cargo would be very, pretty awesome. The idea of, of uh, you know, going to the passenger terminals and, and essentially being a glorified bus driver just wasn't appealing at the time. And so then I had this mindset of being a cargo pilot. And then the, like I said, I put that, that mindset of being a military pilot on the back burner. That came back to the front burner, and I started researching into the Air National Guard. And for those who don't know, the Air National Guard is essentially like a, a mini Air Force for each state. You know, you, you go through training with the Air Force, uh, and your unit, if you get selected and you're based, your unit could get deployed on behalf of the, of the U.S. Air Force. But all the rest of the time, it's it's a bunch of drill weekends and training sessions, and you're you're at that base. It's it's a very local thing, and unlike active duty, where you could get reassignments every five years with an air guard base, uh, that unit you're going to stick with unless you transfer or retire. So, it's it's a it's a different experience, and it's kind of one of these little gems uh, in aviation because if you want to be a pilot in the military, you're not guaranteed a flight slot. The one exception to that rule is the Air National Guard. Now, with that being said, it's incredibly competitive. 
uh, and I ha- was trying for a couple units and applied multiple times, interviewed a couple times, uh, and and got a bunch of thanks but no thanks, and that's okay. I mean, it's it's a very humbling experience to have something that you desire so much, and then for them to say nope, not this year, but keep trying. And uh, so that up until almost uh, I want to say a year ago has been kind of what I've been shooting for is a, a possible career in the Air National Guard. And it's just something different. You know, people have asked me, why do you want to do that? Well, it's it's something different. You have an opportunity to serve your country and, and the state that you serve in. Uh, and it's just some different kind of missions that you're going to do. I mean, you might be doing, depending on the aircraft that you're going for, the bases that I applied for were generally airlift, so like C-130s, turboprop, you know, big old cargo carriers. Uh, and those kind of missions, you're doing all kinds of stuff from from dropping cargo, dropping troops, uh, relocating medical supplies, food. I mean, after, after some kind of natural disaster or hurricane or something, you know, your unit could be deployed to go bring resources into, uh, you know, communities in need. So potential for some really rewarding work. Uh, but again, really competitive. And so I started realizing how competitive that was becoming. And so I, I just, I kept at it, but those application windows are, are not too often. And, you know, you, you can apply to a lot, but it's, it's a lot of work to put those application packages together. It's a lot of work. You have a lot of paperwork. You got to write cover letters and resumes and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, and that's to be expected because this is a very competitive position that you'd be going for. And, and you know, they, they could have 100 applicants and they might, submit, you know, they might accept only two pilot slots or something. So it, it's, it's very, very competitive uh, so if you're thinking about doing something like that, all I can say is, you know, stick with it if you want it. Don't let anyone, anyone tell you no, uh, but do expect a no on your first try, and that's okay. Um, you know, what, what do we always say? Like, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? Uh, and it's it's not to say that I've I've given up on that idea of becoming an Air Guard pilot. It's just that where I'm at right now in life, things have shifted, and it just doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But when that, like I said, it wasn't really falling through. It was just the idea was was shifting a little bit. At that point, I'd, I had gotten through my flight ratings, and I had become a flight instructor. And the really cool thing about this program is uh, I was finishing up my degree, became a flight instructor, and I was a part-time flight instructor while finishing all my classes. So I, I got to start teaching the next generation of flight students while finishing up my degree. So it's it this really pretty unique full circle moment where you, you know, you'd come in as a freshman and even as a sophomore, you'd be working with instructors who are finishing their degree and then they go off, they go off to their careers and then you become a, a junior, a senior and you start instructing and you start teaching that next generation. So it's, it's a pretty unique experience that I was able to do that part time. Uh, and then I was set to graduate in May of 2020 and I did, but, uh, if you recall, 2020 was a big game changing year for us all. <laughs> um, and right around, uh, spring break, I think we, yeah, we were on spring break and there was a group of us actually in Myrtle beach, South Carolina at an ultimate Frisbee tournament. And I remember at the end of that tournament, they had the, the school, Ember Riddle had announced they were going to extend spring break a couple days because of this whole COVID outbreak thing. And that <laughs> turned into, okay, extended a week, extended a month. Okay, the semester is completely going online. 
Uh, and at the time, that spring semester, my last semester in, in uh, 2020, I was only taking three classes, I think, to finish up my degree. I'd, I'd gotten everything done. So I was, I think I was actually, you know, within the, the limits because as a part-time instructor, I think you could only work 25 hours a week. But I was maxing out every single week, taking my three classes and then playing Ultimate Frisbee, and I still had a lot of time on my hands. That spring semester felt pretty pretty relaxed. So of all semesters for a COVID thing to happen, uh, I really can't complain. It was, it was as I've put it bef- in the past to talking to other people, is I, I kind of coasted my way into my last semester, which was really great. Again, like I said, three classes. I think one was an air traffic control class. Um, which actually was a bummer because it was a, a tower class. So we had a simulator where you can actually run simulations as an air traffic controller. Uh, and so a lot of those lab practicals were obviously canceled uh, and, and a lot of it transitioned online. So it, it just, that was a bit of a disappointment, but what are you supposed to do? You know, how are you supposed to have a lab in your, in your couch? You know, you just can't do that. Um, I had another class where I was uh, doing video broadcasting for, for weather and um, I can't remember. I think I did a couple of, of like take-home projects, and we were actually able to work in some pretty unique assignments where you could record videos and edit them, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it was still at that point. I think I had gotten my uh, I'd gotten one of my aerial drones, so I, I was able to to experiment, taking some really cool footage with that, and uh, doing some cool stuff with that. So it, that class was actually really fun to do as a kind of a take home portion. I can't remember off the top of my head what the the third class was, but again, it was, it was a pretty easy way to end my college career. The one disappointing thing, however, was that because COVID had happened and I was graduating, normally if COVID had not happened, I would have graduated and I would have been able to transition from that part-time instructor you know, student status and quickly and pretty seamlessly transition into a full-time flight instructor status, which would have been great because at this point I was still thinking about the Air National Guard. Um, I had applied once, but it needed to keep going forward with it. And and I wasn't really thinking about hours per se, but I knew I had a job lined up because I already had it part-time. I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. And so I, I essentially had a full-time gig lined up. Then COVID hit and our flight department said, hey, you know, we'll we'll let you know when we can bring you back to work. But for now, we can't do anything because generally during the summer, uh, the flying goes down a bit anyway, because a lot of people go home for the summer. And so we're usually at anywhere from 50 to 75 percent capacity of what we would normally be during the, the fall and spring semesters. Uh, but that was that was a tough one. Um, I think COVID hit people in many different ways um you know whether it was getting actually sick from it um but the whole uh isolation thing was was really tough uh, because i had felt a real sense of purpose when i was instructing and all of a sudden that was that was kind of stripped away from me Uh, i I drove back home to massachusetts and yeah I, i had a lot of fun spending time with family and and helping my parents out on the farm but it was it was a little bit tough uh, mentally for me because I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. And it was one of these things too, where the flight department would, would, uh, kind of give these announcements like, Hey, uh, possibility we'll get you back next month. That next month would roll around. Nothing. Uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe next month, nothing. And so it was just kind of strung along. And I, you know, that was looking back. It's what can you expect? I mean, that's, 
that's exactly how many different businesses and schools were, were treating things. I mean, there was just so much uncertainty, you know, there was no vaccine at this point and it was just, life was all over the place. And so we didn't really know what was going on, uh, because we didn't want people getting sick and, and, uh, you know, causing any trouble with, with the whole flight training pipeline. Um, but they had opened back up. I think they closed for a month or two and they had opened back up. And then I finally got the announcement that, yep, we'll bring you back on for the fall semester. So I was like, great, cool. Packed up the car, drove back down, and I started things off in the fall of, of 2020. So at this point, I was now full-time flight instructing and just building some hours, building some experience, and continually uh, applying to a couple of those air guard positions. And one of the things that I had done, uh, I guess I'd forgot to include, um, prior to becoming a flight instructor, uh, our, our flight operations, it's so big, it's so massive, they had... Uh, they probably have more now, uh, than since I was there, you know, a few years ago. Uh, but we had something like 70 Skyhawks and 11 or 12 Diamond Twin Stars. I mean, just a ton of aircraft. And so our dispatch operations were pretty insane. We had all the clipboards or cans for all these aircraft and they needed to be organized and we needed some software to track it. Uh, to make sure we could keep track of every single aircraft and we would keep track of when an aircraft was ramping in, ramping out, you know, leaving the ramp, going away, off of flight, coming back. Uh, it was a pretty insane operation. Uh, I think during peak times, the fleet would fly something like 400 hours a day. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy. And so to have a dispatch there to keep things organized was really important. And so I think... I want to say halfway through my sophomore year, maybe into my junior year. I can't remember when exactly, but uh, I got a job as an aircraft dispatcher. It was minimum wage, making very little money, making way less money than I was during my summer jobs uh, back home. But that's okay. It was it was really great experience. And it got my foot in the door with the flight department. And I got to know a lot of the operations. And when I left that job and became a flight instructor, I still had a really big interest in, in kind of the backbone, the operations, uh, the behind the scenes kind of stuff that was going on. And while I, I really loved instructing, I also took an interest in the flight supervising position that we had upstairs. So again, because of this big operation with like 80 plus aircraft, uh, you need someone to be eyes and ears for the chief flight instructor because the chief flight instructor would be you know, pretty busy with all kinds of meetings and things going on that they couldn't be there eyes and ears all the time. And so the flight department would be open from 5 a.m. until midnight every single day. And so they needed someone to be the eyes and ears for that. And so uh, as soon as I became an instructor, I, I applied to be a, a part-time flight supervisor. So the, the flight supervisors, there were three of them that would alternate these shifts and sometimes, uh, well, I think every Sunday it was, they would have part-timers fill in and then any other time that some of the full-timers would need to take some time off or take sick time or whatever, you'd have these part-timers come in and fill in. And so took that job and, and that was really great experience, uh, really good leadership and management experience so that I could just keep developing my skills. And again, my, I was, my goal was to really build up my personal skills and my resume to keep trying for these these air guard positions. And so uh, I was like I said I was doing that part-time alongside full-time flight instructing. And then one of the full-time flight supervisors was announcing they were leaving. And at this point I wasn't really sure exactly what I was trying to do. I I knew I wanted to keep applying for the air guard. 
but I, I also knew I wasn't really going anywhere because we were still kind of in the middle of COVID. Uh, things were pretty uncertain in terms of moving on for a career. So I just knew that as long as I was staying here, things were pretty solid. Uh, students were still training on a pretty regular basis. And so I figured I'd, I'd stick around for a little bit. And so I applied for the full-time supervising position. Now, this meant that I wouldn't be instructing full-time like I was before, uh, but it would, again, like I said, give me an opportunity to expand even more on the, that leadership and management experience. And so applied, I got the job, and that's where I was at until I left. Um, I think the, by the time I was full-time instructing, that was about a seven or eight month ordeal. And then this supervising position was again, about seven or eight months. Um, and during that whole process, I, I kept trying for the air guard. And then on the side, I was also flight instructing for our very own flying club, which was, uh, this club we had, uh, at 1.3, but I think it narrowed down to two aircraft that were primarily just for full-time employees of the university to have access to. And it was, it was for full-time employees and their, uh, their immediate family members. So if anyone wanted to get some flight training, they could do that. And so the, the club brought me on as kind of like a contract instructor. So, uh, you know, I, I'd set my own rate and it would be, you know, kind of on my own gig. It was, is what we call part 61 training, where it's just kind of, uh, kind of like the mom and pop style of flight school, where you make your own curriculum and you work with the student to figure out a, a training pipeline and, it's not so much of a curriculum like the, the flight department was. And so I, I really enjoyed doing that along the side. And it also gave me an opportunity to occasionally rent those aircraft for a pretty decent rate. Uh, so I would take friends up. I, I took both my parents up, I think. And uh, really fun time. Uh, and that, that's one thing I actually really miss the most is, is having access to that flying club. And so as the... Time went on. Uh, one of the part-time flight supervisors we had was actually just part-time flight supervising while having a job in the airlines. And I remember one time I had an overlapping shift with him, and I was just asking him some questions. How are things going in the airlines? What's going on? You know, what's new? And he just started talking to me about it, and I got a little intrigued. I, you know, for the longest time had been following... Uh, this desire to get into the Air National Guard, uh, but I hadn't realized how intriguing, uh, how interesting a, a job in the airlines would be. And, and like I said way earlier, I think back in my soft, maybe freshman or sophomore year, uh, I'd heard you know, JetBlue had come in for a presentation and I was, I was interested, but I, I kind of put that on a back burner. But this was kind of coming back as an idea. So I thought, huh, this is interesting. And he told me um, that this friend of mine, who's uh, again a part-time flight supervisor, who's who's full-time at the airlines, he got me some more details. We met up for brunch one time, and he showed me his iPad, showed me his schedule and everything, and showed me how it all worked. and And I thought, hey, this is this is pretty cool. Um, you know, here I am living. I'm really enjoying where I'm at with my current job, but I'm far away from family. Uh, and I knew my my end goal was to be closer to family, and so this could be an opportunity to move back and be closer to family again. And so this friend of mine told me, hey, they, they are hiring right now. Uh, the whole COVID thing has kind of settled down, and uh, I would just apply if you're interested. And so I thought, hey, all right, I'll give it a go. And one of the things that really interested me too is this particular airline, the airline that I'm at now, Republic Airways, had a Boston base. 
And so that was really important to me because, well, where my family lives, it, it gives me an opportunity to to live where I need to be. Uh, and I, I was kind of weighing different options of where I wanted to live, whether or not I wanted to be kind of in the upstate New York area or Connecticut, somewhere in there, so that I could commute to LaGuardia, which is another one of our crew bases, or if I wanted to live in central or eastern Massachusetts and be closer to the Boston base. Uh, discussing it some more with my girlfriend, we ended up deciding on, on a Boston base, uh, and that's where I'm at today. But kind of go, going back to a little bit of a backstory of, of how uh, the journey into the airlines started there, it was a pretty insane process. Uh, insane in that it happened so quickly. Uh, this whole program where I was doing the college program, becoming a flight instructor, getting my hours, you know, I had this idea of become, you know, going into the Air National Guard. The whole, you know, get your hours to go to the airlines was never on my radar. I had never thought of that. But the fact that I was working, I did end up getting my hours. And so I was eligible to go to the airlines. And so, uh, like I said, my friend who had told me about it, uh, it piqued my interest. And so I applied. I sent in my application. It was a pretty simple process. Uh, upload your resume. You know, what are your current hours? And a couple more little bits here and there. And that's that. Um, and within a couple days, they got back to me. And they said, hey, uh, you know, we'd like to do a phone call just to go over your logbook, make sure your hours all match up, and we'll move forward from there. I said, okay. And I want to say this was probably July of 2021, somewhere in there. Um, and so that phone call happened. We talked about our logbook. And then uh, a couple days later, they said, hey, we'd like to schedule you for an interview. We're going to fly you up to our headquarters in Indianapolis. I said, wait, wait what? You're going to fly me as in on your dollar? I, that just, that blew my mind. You know, I, I think, you know, being in the industry now, it, it makes sense. But at the time, it just completely blew my mind that a company is going to fly an applicant, just an applicant, a potential applicant, up to their headquarters just to interview. Um, they didn't even do a, a Zoom interview, which is, you know, Zoom meetings and interviews has become such a normal thing these days, I think. Uh, even as we're getting kind of post-COVID, uh, it, I think working from home and doing these Zoom interviews, it can be pretty pretty useful actually at times. Uh, but the fact that they they flew me up to their headquarters uh, and put me up in a hotel the night before, had the interview and then flew me back the next day. I mean, it was it was remarkable. It was really cool. And uh, the interview went, it went really well. Uh, it was it was it didn't even really feel like an interview. I had done a couple of these interviews for the Air National Guard. And those are a little bit intimidating because you're in front of a panel of six, seven, maybe eight pilots uh, and it's it's a little intimidating, but this interviewing process was pretty laid back. There were a bunch of guys there. We were all just kind of chatting, and then they would call us one by one to to get brought in for the interview. And I remember my my HR representative. She was uh, really friendly. The pilot I was talking with was really friendly. Uh, and yeah, there were some technical questions that the pilot asked me about approach plates, but the rest of it was just kind of back and forth, just talking about myself. Uh, and it was just really, really good energy in that interview. Um, and I remember it just, we all seemed to hit it off really well. I, I remember uh, in the airlines, we use Jeppesen charts for all of our instrument approach procedures and our taxi diagrams and all that stuff. In flight training, 
at uh, Embry-Riddle and, and literally most, I want to say 99% of all other flight schools will use the FAA database for their charts. And so there were a couple things I didn't know uh, that the pilot had asked me in this interview. And I remember one time, uh, or one of the questions he'd asked had something to do with uh, the minimum safe altitude um, in reference to a certain point on the chart. And I said, well, I think it's a 25 nautical mile you know, ring around the hmm, ARP. I don't know what ARP stands for. And I don't know what came over me, but I decided to say, all I can think of is AARP, you know, the retirement insurance or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and the, this guy, the, the guy who was interviewing me, the, the pilot, a slightly older guy, he had some gray hair. And I just remember him saying, what, are you taking a stab at me because I'm older? I mean, it was, it was just really funny. Um, so it, this whole interview didn't feel like an interview because there was a lot of humor to it. It was just a really good time. Uh, and I left the interview feeling pretty good uh, that, I, that I think it went pretty well. And so I, like I said, I, I flew back home. They flew, they paid for that ticket and everything. Uh, and I just was thinking, hey, that was a good experience, but I'll, for now, I'll just go back to the, the work I have right now. And like two days later, they call and say, hey, you got the job. And it just blew my mind. I mean, this went from an idea, not but a couple weeks prior, to putting my application together, uh, having a quick phone call, getting flown up, interview, and then couple days later, they, they say, you got the job, congrats. And I said, holy smokes, how, how much time do I have to give you to, to think about this? She, and the, the HR person, she said, no, you got a week. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, so I could at least think about it. Um, and, and so I thought about it, and uh, here we are today. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I took the job, and I remember, I think, because like I said, I think this was sometime in July or August, they say, how about, how about a start date of August something or, or September? And I thought, whoa, you know, I, I don't even have my life in order. I'm still living here. I don't even know where I'm going to live. Uh, this is too much. You know, we need to postpone this a little bit. So I ended up taking a, a end of November, I think it was a November 30th class date for, for 2021. So I I was able to push it out quite a few months just to get my life in order uh, because, you know, with most jobs – you're going to want to give a two-week notice of your departure. I gave a much lower, I think it was like a month and a half notice because the particular position I was in as a flight supervisor uh, was a bit of a hard position to fill. It required quite a bit of training. Uh, it's not as easily replaced uh, compared to just your standard flight instructor. So I did give them a, a pretty big notice, and then uh, I think I, yeah, I decided, okay, I'm going to move back to my parents' house because I'm going to be at airline training anyway, so I can save on some rent because I know I have that end goal of moving somewhere in the Massachusetts area so that I can be closer to family anyway. So instead of staying down there in Florida during training, I, I had actually moved all my stuff up in October-ish, I think, and then I essentially had about a, a month off of uh, just kind of relaxing and taking a breather before launching into the next job. And that's where I went next and uh, went off, shipped off to Dallas just before Thanksgiving, did the CTP, the Certified Training Program course. It's a week-long course and then went to uh, Indianapolis to start my airline training. And I talk a lot about the CTP course and airline training with my interview with Kellen, which is a couple episodes back. I think it's episode number nine. So if you haven't heard that yet, go ahead and give that a listen. Uh, I talk about the whole initial 
uh, airline training experience. And, and it, it's really fun because I just get to chat with Kellen and pick his brains. He, he asked me some questions too. So again, if you haven't heard that, go ahead and, and take a listen to it. But uh, then airline training went underway and, and <laughs> the rest is history. Here I am almost a year and a half later now um, and really enjoying it. You know, I'm, I'm living within a commuting distance to Boston and I'm also close enough to Western Massachusetts where my parents still live. And so it, it's all very commutable and it works really well. And I've, I've talked a little bit about the whole reserve versus uh, line schedules in an earlier episode. So I, I'm still on reserve as of right now, um, but that's okay because I'm, I'm on long call. So I'm, I'm able to uh, get a 12-hour minimum notice, which is really convenient uh, in terms of quality of life. So I'm able to plan some things, even if I have uh, a, a string of reserve days, as long as they haven't called me in, you know, I can I can leave the house, I can go do stuff. Because compare that to short call reserve, where you you've got a two-hour call-out period. Uh, so for now, things are going really well. You know, what do I do next? Uh, whether I upgrade to captain or move on to another airline to be determined. Uh, but for now, I'm, I'm really enjoying where I'm at flying in the airlines. And uh, it just, this job never gets old. You know, I get to get onto a jet, pre-flight it, and take this 80,000 pound hunk of metal and, and set it into the sky. And it's just beautiful. I mean, things can get a little bit old sometimes. Like the last trip I was on, I must have been in and out of New York's Kennedy Airport seven times over the course of five days. Um, so it, it got a little bit tedious sometimes especially when you're number 25 for departure in the evening because it's the international departure rush hour uh but it's really cool because you'll be sandwiched between two giant boeing 777 777s and you'll be this little embraer jet <laughs> sandwiched in between them but god it's it's such a joy uh, i absolutely love this job and i really wouldn't trade it for anything and it, it just it one of these things it, it goes to show how much can change in terms of your your outlook on your career, because I I first went to college thinking I'm going to go into the Navy, become a naval aviator, then that kind of transitioned to I want to be a cargo pilot. Oh no, I want to be an airline pilot. Oh no, I want to be a, a military cargo pilot. Uh, I'll keep trying that. Oh oh now you know what I'll might become an airline pilot. Maybe I'll keep trying the air guard thing. And and now here I am, and I'm just sticking with the airline thing. Uh, and you know it's it's. One of these things where I, I could still go for the Air National Guard, but at this point where things have progressed, uh, where I'm living now, you know, how solid my girlfriend and I are, she's got a new job, uh, life is just really good. And so, you know, why should I really change things? Because the one of the things with the, the Air National Guard is you're off at training for almost two years pretty much. Uh, and so that would really uproot um, my life right now. And, and I think things are just really awesome where they are. And so why should I, why should I change that? But uh, like I said, it's, it's an absolute dream flying in the airlines. And I, you know, if, if you are thinking about it, if you're listening to this podcast, because you're, you're thinking about becoming an airline pilot, I, you know, do your research. But from my firsthand experience, it's, it's an absolute dream. I, I really love it. It's not for everyone. Uh, you know, no job is going to be perfect for everyone. And, and it's not to say that this job doesn't go without some setbacks. Uh, and that's the thing is it is a job, but it's, it's one of these things where when I do show up to work, there are some elements of it that make it feel like a job. Uh, but the rest of it is, wow, you know, I, I get paid to fly a jet and look out the window and watch the sunsets 
and make passenger announcements and listen to my voice my voice boom over the intercom and you know it's it's just it's a very unique job <laughs> that's for sure and you get to travel and you get travel benefits too uh, and you get to see the world and even though i'm at a regional airline right now my routes are not too crazy you know i'll be going to kansas city or reagan or jfk or LaGuardia or chicago or you know things like that I mean, there's nothing that's going to blow your socks off by any means but the travel perks are there too. So, you know, whether or not I move on to a larger airline to do some more international flying or I stick around where I'm at or uh, whatever I end up doing, the the perks that come along with any airline that you go to uh, means that you get to travel. And it's, it's really amazing. So that's pretty much my backstory, how I got to be where I'm at now in the airlines. And like I said, I'm loving it. I'm not going to make many changes, you know, whether or not I upgrade to captain or move on to another airline, life shouldn't really change too, too much. Uh, there's, I'm sure you've heard on the news, there's a lot of these, most of these airlines are pushing out these new contracts. Uh, it's kind of a golden age to be a pilot right now. Uh, there's so much movement. There's a lot of, there were a bunch of early retirements because of COVID. Um, there's, there's captain shortages all over. I mean, there's, there's just so much kind of crazy, so many crazy things happening right now uh, in the industry that if you're looking to be a pilot and you want to be an airline pilot, this is the time to do it. It's it's pretty amazing. There's there's a lot of room to grow and, and really thrive in a career like this. Um, and we're in need. We're really in need of pilots. So that's pretty much my story of how I got to be where I'm at in the airlines. And I think uh, moving forward, uh, it might not necessarily be the next episode, but one of these future episodes, I'm going to talk about the different paths to getting to the airlines. I kind of talked about mine, how I went through the whole college program and, and got my hours. It wasn't exactly a, a direct thought process where I, you know, went to college thinking I wanted to go to the airlines. It was, it was, you know, kind of a, a back and forth decision process in terms of how I wanted to do it. Uh, but if you're, if you're thinking about, okay, yeah, uh, you know, I'm listening to this podcast or I'm doing my research and I want to go into the airlines. There's a lot of ways to do it, and there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. It really depends on the individual. It depends on what you can afford, uh, and it depends on what's realistic for, for you and your goals. So I'm going to make a podcast and talk about the different ways to get to the airlines, but uh, that pretty much wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. I'll be back for the next one, and until then, as always, fly safe. <laughs>